Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, it's been an interesting year and a half, two years, ten years. How, how long has it been since 2020? Something like that. Um, we've heard just shocking stories of over the last year and a half of, of churches involved in lawsuits against government officials, and whether it was in Washington, D.C. or in California, we've heard of pastors in, in uh, countries like Canada that, you know, Canada is not the United States, but it is, uh, it is a, a free nation, and we've heard of pastors being arrested for violating lockdown rules and, and things like that. I, I will say that, that one, one thing about Canada, I don't know that we have any Canadian watchers from home. I've been to several different countries, and the only country that's given me great in the airport was Canada and we were going on a mission trip to Alberta and the guy who was leading the mission trip we were going to do vacation Bible school there in Alberta and so we had filled our luggage with various supplies from vacation Bible school and this particular year was the theme the the theme was kind of the the Polynesian Hawaiian sort of thing and and one of the decorations was this gigantic inflatable pineapple and you know, I've been to countries where you're not supposed to say you're you're on a mission trip. I've been to those places where you're supposed to, you know, we're here as a we're here for travel, we're here to visit friends. I've been to those places, but no one ever said when you go to Canada, don't tell them that you're on a mission trip. And so we get to customs and and this bag gets scanned and it's got this gigantic inflatable pineapple in the bag. And sure enough, the Canadian customs official grabbed that piece of luggage. It was full of Hawaiian-themed vacation Bible school decorations and a large inflatable pineapple. And so try to come up with a creative story as to why you have a large inflatable pineapple in your luggage that you're carrying into a foreign country. We didn't have a very creative story. They did confiscate the pineapple, and, um, and we ended up going on about our business. But it was a long delay there while the Canadian customs officials tried to determine whether we were threats or not. Um, of course, that was an inconvenience, but I'm reluctant to say that that was anything close to persecution. But we are living in a day and time where even in the land of the free, we're beginning to maybe sort of feel the winds of change beginning to blow to where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, um, is starting to suffer and not have the protected status that it has once had. The thing is, is this should not surprise us. Jesus warned his disciples. He warned us by proxy. He said in Mark chapter 13, verse 9, he said, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be, you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So it's not an unknown. Jesus told us that this would be our reality. And we can look back through history and we can see that as long as there's been a, a faithful gospel witness, we have seen faithful men and women brought before councils and brought before governors and brought before kings over the last 2,000 years. One of the most famous is the 16th century reformer Martin Luther. 500 years ago, he stood trial for his radical ideas of restoring biblical faithfulness to the church. Here is a little video clip of Ralph Fiennes' interpretation of that day when Martin Luther gave his famous Here I Stand speech in the Diet of Worms. You have not answered the question. You, Martin Luther, will not call 
Here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. That phrase has been memorialized in the church, but we may find ourselves having to hearken back to Luther's words in our own day and time. Here we stand, we can do no other, God help us. Of course, in our day, we don't often think about Christians being drugged before councils and rulers, but there is one name that certainly comes to mind, meet Jack Phillips. He's not a theologian. Instead, he's just a baker. He bakes cakes and cookies for a living. But he is a baker with convictions. For almost 10 years now, Jack Phillips has been standing in front of judges and commissions, all because he has chosen to remain faithful to his biblical convictions. He no sooner than gets one lawsuit taken care of that another activist is in line ready to sue him again. And literally for 10 years, he has been standing in front of kings and rulers and juries and judges, all in an attempt to guarantee his freedom of expression that is faithful to his biblical convictions. You know, I have a feeling that we have not seen the last of being drugged before councils and kings and commissions. The good news is that none of this is new information. Jesus warned us. But here in the book of Acts, the infant, uh, the heroes of our infant church, you know, they don't get very far either before they attract some very unwanted attention. Last week, we looked at the miraculous healing of our 40-year-old beggar. It was a huge day. People were, were blown away by this miraculous movement of God. It took place in a public place. There was no way to hide it. 
Well, it turns out that the healing wasn't really the problem. Everyone rejoiced in the healing. It was the, the preaching that went along with it. Sadly, and this is the unfortunate reality, Peter and John would have made far fewer enemies if they had simply taken credit for the healing rather than given credit back to Jesus. And the same is true for us today. If we would just go about doing good and cleaning up our community and making, uh, making those sort of impacts in our culture, if we would only do that, the church would be a welcome addition to our society. But the problem the church has is this little thing called the gospel. So it's no longer enough for us to clean up our community and give to our community. We are doing so with the intention of pointing people to Jesus. So we pick up today in Acts chapter 4. We have raised the ire of these religious leaders, these Sadducees. And this morning, if you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 4, let's stand together if you're able in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Begin reading in verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the bold testimony of the church in the book of Acts. I pray for their boldness to be shared by the church today, particularly as our church today is is facing unprecedented challenges from a society, a civilization that has slipped crazier and crazier as with each and every single day. God, may we have a bold witness for the gospel each and every time we open our mouths and share your word. Bless us now as we consider these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. Be seated. What a, what a stunning sight this must have been. Here's a guy who, who's been healed. No one would have believed that it was at all 
possible that this man could have been healed. He has been a, a visible presence in the community for generation after generation as a 40-year-old man who had been crippled from birth. Everyone knew him. Everyone was accustomed to him. Everyone had experience with him. There's no way that this man could be healed. It's the equivalent of us having someone like an Otis, right, from the Andy Griffith Show. Somebody that everybody knew was a drunk and you couldn't stop him from being a drunk and he was always going to be a drunk, but one day he quit drinking. You'd say, I don't believe it. I, I can't believe that happened. Well, he met the Lord. Show me. And if Otis came in sober, you'd think, how in the world did Otis meet the Lord? So here's this guy that, that's been crippled for, for so long, and, and now he's leaping and dancing and jumping. He's been completely rehabbed like nothing was ever wrong. And then you've got these hayseed redneck Galileans preaching there in the temple. The center of, of religious sophistication, the, the place where all of the, the intellectuals would gather, and you've got these equivalent of, of first century rednecks out there preaching. And you've got a crowd of people now in the thousands that have been born again. It, it occurred to me that I was reading this, that, that on this day, more joy may have been experienced in the temple than any day in the past. On this day, more people may have experienced more joy in that temple as people were freed from the bondage of sin, as people were freed from the bondage of, 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 of following the, the ceremonial law, as people were delivered from those things. Joy must have been rampant on that day, too much joy, because we're told that a pretty rough crew of officials showed up, arms crossed, disapproving scowls on their face. Most interesting group in these oppressors were the Sadducees. We, we tend to lump them together, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, that, that it's like the pastors and the deacons. We just lump them together in, in this situation. You know, they're, they're, they're the guys set apart to, 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 to run the show here. You know, that's who these people are. We lump them together in the Bible and say, these are the epitome of the bad guys. You, who are the bad guys in the New Testament? Oh, that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we don't necessarily distinguish or differentiate them, but they really did represent two totally different perspectives when it came to um, their encounters in the church here. To use our modern vernacular, we might say that the Pharisees are more like fundamentalists, right? They, they, they said religion had a very strict way of practicing. You couldn't just uh, have freedom in the expression of faith. If you were going to honor the Sabbath, there were certain particular ways in which you honored the Sabbath. If you were going to make a sacrifice, there were certain particular ways in which you were to, to, uh, to make the sacrifice. I remember when I was a, a student pastor, I, uh, my, my senior pastor did a baptism. And the guy that he was baptizing was a little bit heavy set, and the choir in the church was, was a lot like ours, except the top row was a little bit higher, so that the, the guys on the back, their heads were kind of level with the water right there. And so if they were back there, they could see into the window. And, and I'll never forget that, that this guy was getting baptized, and he, I think he was a little bit afraid of water. And so when he went under, he kind of flailed a little bit. And what happened is, is that his face didn't quite get all the way under. Now, if you've been to SeaWorld, you know what happens when Shamu makes a, makes a wave. Like, water goes everywhere. There was no question the guy was all the way wet. But his face didn't quite get all the way under. And I'll never forget that after the service that day, one of the, one of the older deacons was sitting back there in the choir, and, and he was telling my pastor what for, that he didn't baptize that guy correctly. 
Uh, it, was, it was heated, y'all. It, was, it wasn't just, just, hey, jabbing at him. Hey, he's a little bit big, you know, hard to get him under, right? It wasn't that kind of thing. It was a, this didn't count. You're going to have to do it again. That's fundamentalism, right? Like, I think we'd be okay if, if, a, if, a, if a big fella didn't get all the way under, right? I mean, we've had to have conversations about water levels up there, right? You know, don't, don't fill it up as much as you would on another day, okay, right? We get it. Like, they taught us in seminary, if you're baptizing a big one, you got to work with them a little bit. you got to get them to kneel down some. They, they gave us some tips to make sure you got them all the way under. Fundamentalism says that didn't count. you got to do it again. Get them back in the water. Do it all over. Apologize for messing up. That's the Pharisees. Sadducees, they weren't like fundamentalists. They were more like liberals. We see today both extremes in the church and what we find is that both of those extremes find themselves at odds with biblical Christianity. The Sadducees, they rejected all things supernatural. No angelic beings, no healings, no resurrection. Of course, their worldview had a problem because here's a fellow dancing around that definitely has been healed. These guys were the educated, they were the upper echelon, they were the wealthy, they enjoyed political control, and they didn't take too kindly when people began to upset the balance. Well, nothing upsets the balance in that system like a couple of redneck preachers full of the Holy Spirit. And so they did. They came in and they upsetted that balance. They had a story to tell. And the Sadducees came along and said, it's time to silence this nonsense. The thing we need to understand is that opposition to the gospel is inevitable. It should not come as a surprise to us. Jesus warned us about it in John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, know that hated me before it hated you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he actually says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, expect this, anticipate this. Opposition to your message is coming. Paul affirms it as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. The last letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, he tells his young mentor E, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this is not an unexpected situation. It's not an unexpected arrangement. We know it's coming. We're not very far into the church's ministry in Acts, and we are already seeing opposition and persecution unfold. Peter and John were guilty of being the agents of a miraculous healing, but their greatest offense was the fact that they gave credit to Jesus. I think what I love most is that this opposition doesn't silence them. In fact, this opposition almost adds fuel to the Holy Spirit fire that was burning inside of them. Don't forget, this is not the first time these men have faced opposition. Rewind just a couple of months. Just a couple of months before this event, these men were associated with Jesus. And when the pressure got turned up, they were gone. They were nowhere to be found when Jesus stood before his accusers. Peter watched from a distance and even cussed and swore that he didn't know who Jesus was when he was confronted. They were nowhere to be found to stand there with Jesus. They weren't there to bear witness on behalf of Jesus. Just a couple of months before this gathering in the temple. I think it's safe to say that this is a decidedly different group of men who stood trial this day than those who stood with Jesus. 
And I think that that may be the greatest evidence that we have for the resurrection, the witness of these men. Something changed. Something transpired. Something changed these men from cowards to great heroes of the church. That idea of persecution seems so foreign to us today in the civilized West. We live in a generation today where religious freedom is seen as a fundamental human right. Uh, of course, we, we can say it's a right, but that doesn't mean there aren't people who are eager and ready to, change, to challenge that right. Interestingly enough, Christianity Today published an article back on July the 8th that listed the nine nations where it's the most difficult to be a Baptist. Nine nations where it's the most difficult to be a Baptist, and it was a list with the usual offenders. Of course, persecution extends beyond Baptists, but consider the following for illustrative purposes. The article said, as thousands of Baptists from almost 150 countries gather online this week to celebrate their global family, a recent study finds that 36,000 Baptist churches and 13 million Baptists in nine countries face significant challenges related to their faith and their daily lives. Think about that. We think a bicycle race is a significant challenge for us coming to church on a Sunday. Earlier this month, 140 students were kidnapped from Bethel Baptist High School in Kaduna, Nigeria. 140 students were kidnapped. What for? Slavery, sex trafficking, pick your poison. Who was it? I think it was the Muslim Fulanis of Nigeria. And this is the world in which we live. This is not something that happened 50 years ago. This is something that happened two weeks ago. And it's happening on a regular basis. Our brothers and sisters across the ocean being kidnapped and sold into slavery by bad actors. We certainly see very real persecution happening in other parts of the world. But we need to remember that there is a growing divide in our nation between the fundamental rights of religious liberty and what we would call invented rights that are so prevalent in today's cultural experience. And what we're finding is that those rights cannot coexist. I think we are all seeing which of those rights is being eroded when the rights of religious freedom are finally taken away. It's not going to take long until we see serious and systemic opposition to the gospel develop. We need to remember that opposition is inevitable, and we probably can see it coming in our own generation. But when we see it coming, we need to remember this. We cannot compromise the gospel for the sake of political favor or cultural acceptance. We cannot compromise the gospel for the sake of political favor or cultural acceptance. Look at verses 8 through 12 again in Acts chapter 4. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Underline that in your Bible and commit it to memory, because that must be our declaration from this day forward. 
Salvation anywhere else? No. We cannot compromise the gospel for the sake of cultural or political favor. The disciples are on trial, right? I've never been on trial before, but I suspect that if I were on trial for some sort of crime, that if I were consulting with my attorney, that my attorney would look at me and say, there are things you can say to make this better, and there are things you can say to make this worse. I feel like that's probably a pretty fair uh, way that conversation would unfold. And so if I'm on trial, I don't want to go to jail forever. And so I might say some things that might help me in the long run in whatever the conviction might be. We understand that there are words here that Peter and John could have used that perhaps would have diffused the situation. There's also words that they could have used that could have escalated the situation. And I'm pretty sure that when they looked at the Sadducees and said, there is salvation in no one else, there's no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved, that that did not diffuse the situation that day. If you want to get out of trouble with a group of people who deny the possibility of the miraculous, who deny the possibility of the resurrection, then you might want to avoid some certain terms. Not Peter. Peter's like a theological bull in a china shop. He went straight for the heart of these first century liberals. He said, this Jesus who you crucified, he is alive. You imagine the room. A couple of redneck, hayseed preachers standing in the hall of power just did the first century equivalent of a mic drop, completely obliterating the worldview of these people that were oppressing them. No compromise. No denials this time. Peter's on it. He's not saying, I don't know who that is. This Jesus, hey, y'all killed him. God raised him. And if you want to be saved, you better get on his team. Our day has seen far too many prominent preachers and teachers publicly break down, back down from the exclusive claims of the gospel. Because it seems to be that the exclusive claims of the gospel today run very counter to the prevailing winds of our day. Today, the culture says you can do what you want, love who you want, believe what you want, Just be good to your neighbor, and the forces of the universe, whatever that may be, will be good to you in return. That's what this believes. That's what drives this world that we are living in. That's what the the, the pagan that you encounter on the street, that's what they believe. The media that we consume, that's what drives it. And listen to me, it is the biggest lie that could be told. And if we are not willing to declare with Peter, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, then what are we doing? If we're not willing to make that our declaration, if we're not willing to stand on that, if we're not willing to be like Luther and look at a lost and dying world and say, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Then what's the point? It's as true today as it was then, and we'd better not be afraid to declare it, and we'd better not be willing to compromise on it. And let's be clear, 
such an exclusive view is not going to make you as many friends. You make a lot more friends with a much less exclusive opinion. And such an exclusive view might actually give you cause to experience some serious opposition. But there is no middle ground here, right? There is no middle ground between Jesus is the only way to be saved or he's not. There, there's no way to compromise this. There's no, there's no halfway here. There's no middle ground. It's either that or it's not. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to convey that truth with the same spirit that Peter did on that day in front of the Sanhedrin. If you're having coffee with an unsaved co-worker, you can probably leave your preacher voice in the pulpit. But truth is truth. Whether it's declared with power in front of a crowd of opponents or whether it's declared with conviction when it's being shared in a deeply personal conversation between friends, truth is truth. It's still the gospel and it's still the power of God to save. And here's the thing. We know opposition's coming. We can't compromise to avoid it. At the same time, we should not fear it because Jesus is with us. I love verse 13. Verse 13 is one of those great verses. It's, it's one of those moments. It's almost a turning point in the story. Look at verse 13 in chapter 4. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. That means they were stupid. And that's what those translate as. It's not, these aren't, these aren't just, just gentle words. They're saying that these guys are the first century equivalent of having the ID10T disorder. They're idiots. They're, they're Galilean, hayseed, redneck preachers. They're uneducated, common men, and we're told that they were astonished. Well, what made these guys like they are? You see it clicking there, right? They realize that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Where in the world did this boldness and courage come from? They didn't go to seminary for the last two months and, and nail this. They, they were fishermen before all this happened. Where in the world did they get this courage? They'd been with Jesus. And what the council didn't realize that day, <laughs> Jesus was still with them. Because this precious gift called the Holy Spirit that came to them and filled them and empowered them. And this duo of hayseed hillbillies from Galilee were empowered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us today. Whenever we face opposition in our lives, we understand today that the Holy Spirit is with us. It is true for our brothers and sisters in dark corners of the world where they risk life and limb for the sake of Jesus. And it will be true for us when our religious freedom is finally taken away at the expense of whatever invented liberty our depraved civilization can invent. You know, there's some folks who are tempted to think that the current trends in our culture aren't gospel issues. That, that the things that the culture wars that are being fought today aren't gospel issues. But can I just say that if the, the terrible sin of abortion is not a gospel issue, 
I don't know what is. Can I just say that, that if redefining the family and marriage is not a gospel issue, then I don't know what is. You see, the gospel demands that we do business with sin. The gospel requires that we acknowledge our sinfulness, that, that we are completely and totally broken from the start. And the only way we can be unbroken is through the grace of God where he forgives our sin through Jesus on the cross. That's the only way. So we have to acknowledge sin. And if we are busy redefining sin or, or changing the definition of sin and making sin softer, then how in the world can we preach the gospel? You can keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. God doesn't mind. Don't worry about your alcoholism. It's okay. You keep being an alcoholic and don't worry about Jesus. You, you keep doing your, your, your alphabet soup thing. Don't worry about what God said in, his, in the Word. You keep doing your thing. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because the gospel demands that we do business with sin. Peter pulled no punches when dealing with the Sadducees. He put his finger in their chest and he said to them, This Jesus whom you crucified. Those fighting words. He was honest. A story was once told of Peter Cartwright. He was a great circuit-riding Methodist preacher in Illinois. He was an uncompromising man. He had come north from Tennessee because of his opposition to slavery. One Sunday morning when he was scheduled to preach, his deacons told him that President Andrew Jackson was in the congregation. Knowing that Cartwright was used to saying whatever he felt God wanted him to say, Regardless of how, he, how people might react, they warned him not to say anything that would offend the chief executive. We stood up to preach, and he said, I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here, and, Andrew, and, and I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. The audience was shocked. They wondered how the president would respond to this, but after the service, he told Cartwright, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. Again, as the church today, we need to have wisdom and discernment. We need to understand that truth is still truth regardless of the pulpit in which it's preached from or the individual conversations that we have. But whenever the church faces opposition, there's some choices. There's some things we can do. We can hide. That's an easy one. We'll just hide until the opposition passes over. And then we'll come out and we'll declare the truth. We can compromise. Sadly, we see this happening over and over and over and over. We see entire denominations attempting to compromise on gospel truth. We've even seen our own denomination move in compromising ways. 
or we can be bold. I hope and pray that whenever opposition comes, and it's coming, that we will always take a stand like these men. That we will always be willing to look at those who oppose the gospel and say there is no name given under heaven by which you can be saved. I hope we'll take that stand. I hope we'll be like Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua is the promised land had been conquered and was ready to be divvied up. He looked at all the Israelites there as they were getting ready to move in their separate directions. He warned them about the idols in the land, but he looked at them and he said, Choose you this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I hope that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when those opposing forces arise, when we're being challenged to give in, to give up, to compromise, that we will look at churches and we will look at one another and we will say, you choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my family, as for me and my house, as for me and my church, we're going to serve the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains. Thank you, Father, for the boldness of men like Peter and John who challenge us and who call to us to ensure that we share in the same convictions of that truth. Lord, as we live in this world that is filled with a thousand different opinions of what's true. There's all sorts of religions and non-religions and, and worldviews that are calling out for our attention. They're begging for our children's attention. That, God, we would stand firm on this foundation that there is no other name than Jesus. And so, God, if we walk away from here with anything today, may we be resolved in our commitment that there is no other way but Jesus. God, maybe there's some here today. And they've looked at other possibilities. They've considered. Maybe even now they're on the fence. But Lord, would we be moved by the courage of these men and the only thing we can say is they were with Jesus. They are like they are because they were with Jesus. So God, if there's any here today that need to put their faith and trust in Christ because he is the only way that we can be saved. Would they have the courage to do so in this moment? And Lord, would we have that same effect on others? That people would look at us in our day-to-day -day life, they'd look at us in our place of business, and they would think, man, what makes that person like he is? Why is he so kind? Why is he so gracious? Why is he so loving? Why is he so forgiving? Why does he care about his family so much? Why does he care about his church so much? And the only thing that makes sense 
It's because of Jesus. It's because we've been with Jesus. And now Jesus lives in us through the presence of God the Holy Spirit. So God, in this season of relative peace, when we see storm clouds rising in the distance, would you give us the wherewithal today to have that conviction in our heart tomorrow that just like Luther and just like so many others who have stood in front of their opposers, and can declare with conviction and boldness and courage, here I stand. Here I stand. I can do no other. I pray this is in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.